Welcome back to the show. I'm Nina Turner, host of Unbossed. So excited about my co-host today, the one and only David Schuster. You can catch David on Rebel HQ and you can see him Facebook, YouTube, go. He does some <laughs> interviews you do not want to miss. David, what a delight to have you with well, me. Senator, today. I am so honored. This is such a thrill because I've always admired you in terms of the work you've done in elected office. But you know what? You were a frequent and favorite guest of mine on various shows through the years. And I am tickled pink to be your guest. So this is going to be awesome. I am so happy. Yes, we have been down this road a few times. It's not our first time to the rodeo, as they yeah. say. <laughs> but really glad to see you and the awesome work that you're doing on Rebel HQ. I really encourage. Every viewer right now with us to please sign up and watch David Schuster. He is laying it down <laughs> and we're at Rebel HQ. You do not want to miss, especially you don't want to miss his interviews with the Trumpsters. Baby, if you want to get a little entertainment in, <laughs> some edumatainment. I'd, yeah. I'd say that's the right, entertainment is the right word. <laughs> yes, very much so, mind blown. Oh my goodness, so let's, we're gonna get right to our first topic, David, and that is a diabetes patient have high insulin costs. And we know that this is something that we've been dealing with in this country for far too long. And it's not even just the medicine for diabetics, just the cost of prescription drugs across this country is too damn high. And it is far time, well past time for the United States to do something about it. Doesn't have to be this way, sisters and brothers, family and friends. It does not have to be this way. So here we are, Medicare for all. This is a forever message for us here at Unboss. It should be a forever message for all freedom fighting progressives. Does not make a whole lot of sense to me that we are the only industrialized nation. Yes, you heard me right. The only industrialized nation on the face of the earth that does not have some type of universal health care. Doesn't have to be that way, it's that way right now, but it does not have to be that way. So with the sickness industry, and that's what it is, it's not a healthcare industry, it's a sick care industry. Healthcare in the United States of America is commodified. So with the sickness industry putting profits over health, that has made life more difficult for patients with diabetes. And if life is more difficult, for patients with diabetes, then you guessed it, life is much more difficult for their family and their friends, the people who love them. So here are the details. New research unveiled Monday estimates that around 1.3 million US adults with diabetes either skipped entire insulin doses, took less than needed, or put off a purchase of the medicine over the past year due to high costs. That is coming from Jake Johnson of Common Dreams. This is not only heartbreaking, this is infuriating because again, it does not have to be this way. A public citizen sent this tweet, I want you to take a look at it. Breaking, we found 1,300,000 Americans with diabetes rationing insulin due to costs. Those without insurance had the highest rates rationing at 30%. This isn't some awful phenomenon, this is a policy failure. A policy failure indeed, we are slacking. And because we are slacking in this country, then patients are lacking. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, David, in the United States of America. 
Well, and that's 1.3 million people. I mean, I sometimes like to try to put this in terms of maybe Republicans might resonate to, right? They may not care about the humanity, but they certainly care about productivity, about the workforce making more profits for all these wealthy corporations. Well, if you're sucking out 1.3 million workers because they're calling in sick, because they've had to cut back on their insulin, that is less productivity. That means these companies, these businesses they're working for can't make the kind of profits that Republicans are looking for. So just on that angle, just because you wanna try to keep a healthy workforce in order to be as productive and economical as possible, you would think Republicans would say, yeah, we need to make sure these people are not skipping out of work. Let's lower the cost of insulin so they don't have to skip their shots. Ooh, David, baby, you know how to speak they love language because <laughs> it ain't on morality. It's all on economics, you are absolutely right. I want us to check out this list from a 2020 report at the Rand Corporation. Top 10 countries where insulin is most expensive. Guess who's at the top of the damn list? The United States of America, you see Chile, Mexico, Japan, Switzerland, Canada, Germany, Korea, Luxembourg, and Italy. In Italy, they pay $10.03, David. United States of America, almost $100. We are the most expensive. And again, that's coming from the Rand Corporation. They, I just, I don't get well, it. And it's like the numbers, I'm glad you put this up because it's not just a matter of the United States, the cost being higher. You look at the number two on the list, we are five times more expensive in the United States than the second one on the list. We're not talking about you know 20% higher or 100% higher. We're talking five times. So. Even if we were to say cut back the cost of insulin from an average of 100 bucks to say 40 bucks, we would still be twice as much as the number two on the list. But at least that would be making the insulin more affordable for more people. It wouldn't get us all the way there, but at least it would be progress. And there's gotta be some progress made for the sanity of and health of everybody in this country. That's absolutely right. And we're not talking about something that is elective. People who have diabetes actually need this medicine to live to function, to have a high quality of life, although they have that disease. So again, this absolutely makes no sense. Uh, this is a vital necessity for those with both type one and type two diabetes. Injections of insulin can help manage both types of diabetes. The injected insulin acts as a replacement for or supplement to your body's natural insulin. And that's coming from Healthline. Once more, this highlights the need for Medicare for All, which you are going to hear us talk about on Unboss Ad Nauseum. So just get ready for it. If you are not a proponent of Medicare for All, I just gotta warn you. I want you to see this ain't small print. I'm making this print real large. We are absolute proponents and champions for Medicare for All in the United States of America. Yes, we are. I am and we are. So once more, this highlights that particular need. So universal access to insulin without cost barriers is urgently needed. We have allowed pharmaceutical companies to set the agenda and that is coming at the cost of our patients. That is coming from Adam who is an ICU doctor. Again, being reported by Jake Johnson at Common Dreams. And you know what, research backs up what the doctor is talking about. So I want you to check out this data from Yale University, a study from earlier this year. In 1996, when the pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly debuted its hemoglobin brand of insulin, a fast acting type of insulin, a vial cost $21. 
Now it costs more than 10 times that, more than 10 times. And so this is coming from Yale School of Medicine. The passing of the Inflation Reduction Act will cap insulin starting at $35 starting in 2023. But that's just a very small baby step, David, to getting towards universal health care and driving down the cost of all prescription drugs in the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's still, look, it's still gonna leave a lot of greed for Eli Lilly and the other people who make the, the insulin shots. And to me, I just sort of think, you know what, when we, when you think about diabetes and insulin, you automatically seem to think, and I at least think, well, I think of people who are you know more impoverished, uh, uh, lower income communities, people, minorities, people of color. And I just sort of wonder, uh, Senator Turner, if, if, if you think that maybe part of what's going on here, the reason that there is a sort of greed and this lack of humanity is because it doesn't tend to affect healthy, rich, white people, it's because it's lower income communities, communities of color, minorities, Latinos, they're the ones who tend to have a higher incidence of diabetes. And therefore it feels like, well, our society, which I believe is a racist society, never mind an inhumane one, says, okay, well, it's fine. Let's go ahead and profit even more off of the people who can least afford it. There it is. You know, if I was in a black church right now, all I would say is amen and amen when the sermon has been preached. And we shouldn't have to preach it, though. I mean, you know, we've we've been doing this for so long. And there was once a time when you know Americans said, you know what, we all need all of us to be healthier. All of us benefit if we're all healthier and more productive and engaged in our activities and engaged in our lives. But when we set people back, then we start to cause some of the very real problems that so many people on the right seem to fear. It is so true, and what affects one directly affects us all indirectly, the immortal words of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it is so true almost on regarding almost every single thing that impacts the human condition. Very, very rarely is a one epic thing only impacting one set or one group of people. There's always a ripple effect. So again, we can do something about this. This is about universal health care in the United States of America. This is about those who advocate and agitate on this to continue to do this. And this is also about electing policymakers who actually give a damn about the people that they serve. We ain't reaching too high. We're not asking for too much when we say universal health care. But until we get there, let's just make sure that everybody with diabetes can afford their medicine and that they don't have to ration it. This is non-negotiable. All right, we're going to New Jersey now, David. Come on with me, New Jersey. <laughs> I so love this one. Oh, I can't wait for this one. I can't an old wait. giant. <laughs> yes. So New Jersey is cracking down on big oil companies who have contributed to the climate crisis for years. Now, even though they lie and they deny, they deny and they lie. There's scientific evidence to back up the fact that oil impacts that this industry is impacting the climate chaos that we are facing, not just in this country, but all over the world. So here's what the suit, the lawsuit. So here, let me break it down first of what the lawsuit filed yesterday by the Attorney General in the great state of New Jersey and the Division of Consumer Affairs. So here we go. The lawsuit filed in New Jersey Superior Court in Mercer County targets ExxonMobil, Corporation Shell Oil, Chevron, BP, ConocoPhillips, and the American Petroleum Institute. And here's what the suit argues. The defendants have known for decades 
that the use of fossil fuel is a major cause of climate change. But instead of warning the public or the state about the danger, they launched public relations campaigns to sow doubt about the existence, causes, and effects of climate change. That is coming from the Attorney General of the great state of New Jersey. And so David, this disinformation was, it was deliberate. And they spread this by these companies and they've been bankrolled. They've misled the people of this country all in the name of profit. That's it, profit over the climate, profit over people, profit over the ecosystem. You know, they don't care if we have, if, if Mother Earth is habitable for any of us. All they care is about the almighty dollar. And I don't think their cares are gonna change unless, of course, we can go after sort of their bottom line. And it reminds me a lot of the you know the tobacco companies 20 years ago. They didn't stop, you know, they didn't put warning labels on cigarettes because they cared about people, it's because they were starting to be sued in so many different courts and successfully. And I almost feel like it's the same thing here. Good for the state of New Jersey, the attorney general, to go after these greedy oil conglomerates and corporations that are already making so much money. I don't think anything is gonna cause these companies to suddenly care about climate change or to worry about the impact on humanity. However, once they start to see that, okay, juries are coming back with multi-billion dollar judgments against them because they've lied, because they've, I mean, where else in the world do we allow people to simply take their pollution and dump it out and not have to pay for it? That's what we do with these companies. We allow them to pump their pollution into our air and there's no cost to them, but there's a huge cost for the rest of us. Well, I'm glad to see that at least the state of New Jersey is gonna say, no, now it's time to pay up. Yeah, Attorney General Matthew Plankton, Plankin, he's he's on top of this. And you know, New Jersey has long felt the effects of climate change, especially especially during Hurricane Superstorm Sandy in 2012. So Sean Latourette, New Jersey's Environmental Protection Commissioner, called the state quote ground zero for some of the worst impacts of climate change. And then Hurricane Sandy was the costliest natural disaster in the history of New Jersey with $30 billion with a B in damages. And here are just some of the effects of fossil fuels have on the environment. Let's show the people what some of those effects are. And I know people are living with these effects, especially people if you have asthma or any of those other sorts of conditions, this kind of pollution exacerbates that. But air pollution, water pollution, plastic pollution and oil spills. So we're talking about water and air, two of the three essential things that we absolutely need to live. And then when you think about the soil too, David, that is a problem too. So we gotta, we gotta breathe the air, we gotta drink the water, and we absolutely need clean food. And it's not a coincidence that the same five companies mentioned in the lawsuit have made billions in 2022. Shell, Exxon Mobil, BP, Chevron, ConocoPhillips brought in more than 200%, 200% in profits than they did in the first quarter of 2021. That is a total of more than $35 billion, that is billion with a B, in profits in just three months, just three little months. And New Jersey now joins several other states and cities currently filing lawsuits, similar lawsuits. Let's take a look. At the other places in this country who are filing those lawsuits, we got Rhode Island, Delaware, Minnesota, DC. Ooh, we. David, this makes me giddy. 
it would make me even giddier if I could say that it was the state of the District of Columbia, not just this sort of colony that people, that's a whole other issue. But the fact of the matter is, look, and I hate to sort of keep bringing it back to productivity, but at a certain point, I almost feel like the oil companies, when they see that our society cannot be as economic, cannot be as profitable as it should be because we keep having climate disasters and people keep getting out of work and so much infrastructure keeps getting destroyed. At that point, maybe they say, okay, well, if we wanna sell more oil and gas, we wanna sell more energy, we need to stop having these disasters. So maybe that's a reason why they start to do the right thing. And I'm also glad, I mean, the state of New Jersey, I think it's gonna help draw the connection because I think there are people in that state and other states who still don't yet draw the connection between the disasters confronting them in their neighborhoods because of climate change and the contributing factor that these oil companies are essentially causing a large part of it. And as more states are able to make this argument, I think more people who are perhaps not as informed will start to make the connection and realize, no, 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 this has to change for everybody. I totally agree with that, David. So shout out to the Attorney General, great state of New Jersey and all the other areas in this country that are standing up to big oil. They're doing it on behalf of each and every one of us. Time for our first break. I'll see you back on the other side. Welcome back. Let's see what some of the folks watching have to say. Oh, but before I get to that, I wanted to remind you, do not forget about Brittany Griner. Now we talked about her yesterday. We know that her family is asking for our support. So we're gonna keep lifting her up. If you are on social media and you are posting about Brittany, do not forget to use the hashtag FreeBG. That's free BG. And also for the people of Jackson who are still suffering with that dirty water here at TYT, we're doing some fundraising for them. So if you wanna help them, go to tyt.com slash relief. That is tyt.com slash relief. Can you do that for us? Let's help our friends and our family and even our frenemies in this case, because even frenemies should have clean water, just saying. All right, TYT member comments, Jess says, Miss Nina looking like dead boss. Go ahead. I feel that. I'm, I'm, I'm receiving that data. Who is unbossed? Get nothing but love. Thank you so much, Jess. I am loving that. And on Twitch, C Prince says, Yes, Nina and David, you are all you already know that this is going to be a great show. We love you both. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. And keep the fire, they said. Oh, I love that. And Amanda says, Black Pearl Dragon in the house. You rock, progressive queen. Ooh, <laughs> I receive it. David, you know, just yesterday I was on with John and we had some comments with the queen, uh, you know, me being called queen. And John said, that's the only kind of monarchy he would support. I said, me too, baby. <laughs> if it got to be a monarchy, you want to be the one in control. You know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. And you know what? The queen dragon, the black pearl dragon, whatever. I mean, I love this. Uh, and I love also the whole sort of dragon names and nicknames and everything on John's show. And I'm just you know thrilled that we got to be part of it. So they are an entire community. Don't yes. mess with the dragon, the dragon yeah. squad. Don't mess with them. <laughs> oh my God. So. Here we go, Francesca Ramsey versus mega interviews. Take a look at this. I saw Trump, I mean, come on, the guy's a genius. Yeah. 
you know, media goes around telling them. I absolutely hate this genre of video. Go on the street and interview dumb Republicans. I blame The Daily Show, even though The Daily Show is very smart and funny. Like, what is the purpose of this content? We have a midterm election coming up, and instead of encouraging people to be registered and encouraging people to, you know, make sure that they know the issues that are going to be on the ballot, it's like, ha ha, look at these dumb Republicans. But guess what? Those dumb Republicans will vote. They will vote. And so like while everybody is kikiing about how stupid they are, they are putting policies in place that impact people's lives, kill people, children, elderly, marginalized folks with disabilities. Like come the f- on guys. Like this is why why is this the move? He he he, they're so dumb. They're not. They're not as dumb as you think. They are absolutely not as dumb as you think. So the comedian Francesca Ramsey is criticizing viral videos of interviews at mega rallies. We have a person who does just that, among other things, right with us, our very own David Schuster. David, thoughts about this, about what Francesca had to say? I totally get the concern and I appreciate the idea of, wait a second, why are we giving a platform to people who sound dumb and they're saying crazy things and why are we giving that airtime? And and I'm a believer that yes, it's important to understand that there are these real people out there and that a lot of them are saying things that yes, sound crazy and sound stupid, but these are people who are lost. And to the extent that we're ever gonna be able to bring people like that back, we need to be reminded that look, maybe we need a better education system in this country. Maybe we need a media system that is actually speaking the truth instead of the right-wing partisanship of OAN, Newsmax, and Fox, because that's where these people are getting their news. And when you talk to them and you hear this stuff, it all starts to make sense as to why they're this way. And when you understand why they feel the way they do, because they've been misled, because they don't understand what's happening around them, because they have this echo chamber, this bubble, it becomes a little bit easier to imagine ways that we might be able to fix it. And oh, by the way, when you are able to talk to people and say, hey, well, what about X, Y, and Z? And they don't understand logic. Well, there's a little bit of entertainment there as well. <laughs> yeah, and I and, and you're absolutely right. And, and just the brainwashing that is going on in this country is just, it's chilling, actually. So when I see your interviews, but I tell you, I know something that we both can agree with Francesca on, and that is Republican voters do actually vote. So according to the US Census Bureau, the 2020 presidential election had the highest voter turnout of the 21st century with 66.8% of citizens 18 years and older voting in the election. And let's remind you that voter turnout increases as age increases, duh. Which makes you think that maybe older folks who might fall victim to GOP lies are the driving vote in the United States of America. Let's go and put those two things together and what's happening right now. Take a look at this headline, record turnout in long lines mark first day of early voting in Georgia. And you know who knows, maybe 20, maybe this midterm might outpace. The, I, I think we're on the same track, David, as, as the last 2018 actually. That's oh, for sure. Think. And these people at these rallies, I mean, they are engaged. I mean, regardless of what we think about them, they are the people who they spend so much of their identity is tied up in somehow fighting back by pulling the lever for what people people we think are crazy. But 
look, the best way to sort of counter these folks in the short term is to make sure that all of us go to vote and that people who may not care about politics as much find a reason to care because otherwise these people who are saying crazy things, who are doing things to hurt so many of us, they get more political power and they already have plenty of power as it is. Yeah, they do. All of us should care about politics because politics cares about us. And care, I'm using that word very loosely because it depends on who holds the power and what they push as they hold the power. And speaking of holding the power, Florida, 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 damn Florida, Florida, Florida. Uh, not Florida, but the leadership of Florida. Take a look at this. It's two felony charges for voter fraud, but they've reduced it to $500 bonds. So it's $1,000 total. Oh my God, man, what so, the? Yes, sir. So unfortunately, right now, we're going to have to. Oh, Governor DeSantis. Let's play video number two. Apparently, uh, apparently, I, I guess you have a warrant? For what? I'm not it's sure. For voter stuff, man. For voters. It's, it's uh, what it is. It, I think the agents with FDLE talked to you last week about some voter fraud, voter stuff, when you weren't supposed to be voting, maybe. I didn't. So. They, that's what you're, they, we're not the case agents, but what you got to do, they, they have reduced your bond quite a bit. It, it's two felony charges for voter fraud, but they've reduced it to $500 bonds. So it's $1,000 total. Oh my God, man, what so, the? Yes, sir. So unfortunately, right now, we're going to have to. Oh my God is right. I mean, the misleadership of Florida knows no bounds. I want to take a look at what Paul McLeod put up in his tweet the other day. This is an incredible look at the gulf between the voter fraud rhetoric of politicians and reality. Instead of scheming fraudsters, you've got confused people being rounded up by police because they trust the system. Oh, David, I. Well, let's play another one. Then I just want you to go ahead and jump on. I'm just scratching my head right now. Here we are. Another woman who was arrested and she is in shock. Oh my God! Hold on. Wait, wait. Let me tell my husband. Wait, wait. We're telling him. He's right here. Right here. So if you could put your hands on your back, please. Oh my God! Do so not move. Ultimately, ma'am, you have a warrant. Okay. The warrant. No, hold on. Listen. I know you're. You caught off guard. I understand. Right, so you have a warrant, it's for voter fraud, okay? Hear me out, it's an ROR, you know what ROR is? Oh my God. You go in, you get booked, and then they're gonna release you from booking. I want really? Really, they're putting handcuffs on her? She's not violent, she's not a threat, even if somebody voted. I, I've got members of my family who are dual citizens with another country who probably made a mistake by voting in this country as well, and they weren't supposed to. But the best we should do is in those circumstances, you send that person a letter and say, hey, you're not allowed to vote, so we need to settle this. But the idea that you're sending police who are putting cuffs on people, that is terror. And we've got enough issues with trusting police and in our institutions to begin with. And now we're essentially gonna say to a communities of people who might, you know, maybe confused about whether or not they can vote. Oh yeah, if you're not sure, well watch out because the police might come down and bust your door and arrest you on your property and put handcuffs on you. That is pure reckless intimidation that they're carrying out in Florida. Yeah, it is at the hands of Governor DeSantis, who by the way is going to try to run for 
president. And the police officer seemed a bit confused and a little myth yep. too, David. I mean, you could you could tell that by their body language that they kind of felt uncomfortable with even doing this, but they're just carrying out the orders. It makes no sense. I want to go back down memory lane about this state and the type of threat that Governor DeSantis is, not only to the good people of the state of Florida, but to this country. So in November of 2018, nearly 65% of Florida's voters approved Amendment 4. Some of you may be old enough to remember that. A constitutional amendment that automatically restored voting rights to most Floridians with past convictions who had completed the terms of their sentence. Shortly thereafter, in June of 2019, Governor Ron DeSantis signed Senate Bill 7066 into law prohibiting returning citizens from voting unless they paid off certain legal financial obligations. This is coming from the Brennan Center reminding us of this. So I want to get this straight, David. The people of the great state of Florida voted on an initiative, a ballot initiative to allow returning citizens to be able to regain their voting rights. And this governor, along with his dastardly crew, decided to overturn the will of the people. I want folks to follow this. Let's keep going with the Brennan Center. The Brennan Center and other civil and voting rights groups, they filed a lawsuit, obviously, to beat back against this. In part, they did that. So it was the Brennan Institute, it was the NAACP, all of that, they're fighting. So the district court said, the lower court said, yeah, you know, you're right about this, but what did DeSantis and crew do? They appealed and they appealed to the 11th court and they reversed or vacated the lower court's ruling, no surprise there. So basically the 11th district issued an order reversing the ruling of the district or the trial court. And you notice there, David Brennan Center said in block, that all of the justices on that 11th district sat in on this. Usually when you go to a district court, to the 11th circuit at the court of that magnitude over the lower court, there are only about three justices that sit in. But all of the justices were asked to sit in on this. They all did and they reversed the lower court's decision which is a problem in Florida, a problem because more than 774,000 Floridians are disenfranchised by the law. And the overwhelming majority cannot afford to pay what they owe. And black Floridians are more likely to owe money and to owe more than their white counterparts. No surprise there that that is the reality. The state does not reliably or consistently track the data on what people owe. So it is often impossible to make eligibility determinations. David, I argue that Governor DeSantis knew exactly what he was doing. He knew the ramifications and the impact that this would have on returning citizens and especially black returning citizens and other returning citizens of color. He knew exactly what he was doing. I call this a 21st century poll tax. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was Governor DeSantis tamping down uh, voters who would not vote for him. And look, I get that there may be some, and clearly the courts have ruled that there is some sort of debate. There's arguments on both sides as to whether or not a sitting governor of the state of Florida can override the will of the people depending on how the legislation is passed. But that's the legal argument. The moral argument here to me is more important. And that is the will of the Florida people. They said, no, we want these people to vote. And this is not an issue of 
you know, the, the governor should say, okay, fine. You know what? If those people are going to vote, I'm going to work even harder to explain to those people why they should vote for me. But instead, he's short circuiting the process. He's going for a power grab because he knows that his policies will not work with a majority of Floridians. So he, the only way that he wins is by tamping down and making sure that certain people don't vote for him. That's not democracy. Not at all. It's called rigging the system. And that is exactly what the governor is doing. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is corruption. By any measure, this is corruption and it is wrong that it is happening in the 21st century. Ah, but here we are. Florida, do better. Get your governor. Get your governor. All right, Social Security cuts, David, the GOP added again. Republicans are going to cut Social Security if they win the majority back in the Congress. Those earned benefits that our elders have will be cut at the hands of the GOP. And so every Republican needs to answer for this. So I know that there are elders who are Republican, Democrat, no party, Green Party, don't want a party. Baby, if you are an elder, somebody that loves an elder, we all should be very concerned about what the Republicans are planning to do. So here we go. GOP House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has made it clear. Social Security and Medicare are on the chopping block. If people want to make a debt ceiling, for a longer period of time, just like anything else, there comes a point in time where, okay, we'll provide you more money, but you've got to change your current behavior. And we should seriously sit together and figure out where we can where we can eliminate some waste. That is coming from minority leader Kevin McCarthy. I wonder, I wonder, oh, how I wonder where he thinks the waste is happening. Let's put up this tweet from Senator Bernard Sanders from the great state of Vermont. And Senator Sanders says, the Republican solution to inflation is to hold the full faith and credit of the United States government hostage unless they are able to enact huge cuts to Social Security and Medicare at a time when 55% of seniors are trying to survive on less than $25,000 a year. Outrageous, David, outrageous. The two greatest, I think, the two greatest social programs in US history are Medicare and Social Security. They have kept so many people out of poverty. And when I talk to Republicans about this, they say, "Oh, but these programs are running out of money. Well, first of all, they're not. But even if you're gonna go down that road, Republicans say, well, the only way that the programs can save themselves is you either cut benefits or you raise the retirement age. And I'm like, no, 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 there's a third option. It's only the first 120 some thousand dollars of income that is taxed to Social Security. Let's raise that to $200,000 so that the wealthy actually have to pay more into Social Security. That's an option if you're really concerned about solvency. But this isn't about solvency. This is about hurting people, about hurting people who depend the most on Social Security and Medicare in order to keep them from having terrible lives. And the fact of the matter is Republicans complain all they want about solvency, about waste, fraud and abuse. But the people who are abusing the poorest Americans among us are the ones who say we need to cut Social Security and Medicare. There it is, David. It is abuse, abuse indeed. So if you love an elder, hmm. if you care about our elders and our seniors in this country, I don't know how you can vote for Republicans. You just can't do it. I just cannot do it. If they are in control in that Congress, they have already declared that they will cut Social Security and Medicare. And we just cannot have that happen. The one thing that we all have in common, there's always a generation ahead and a generation behind. But by the grace of God, we all are gonna become seasoned. And so we need to watch and look out for our elders. 
because that's coming to an elder near you. So let's make sure that we don't let the GOP take over Congress in these midterms. And Senator, I think this is also great politics. I mean, you tell me, but I think if Republicans, if they want to campaign on cutting Social Security, on cutting on Medicare, I say go for it. Because every poll that I've seen shows that even a lot of Republicans don't like the idea of cutting benefits for Social Security and Medicare. So fine, Republicans, you should be transparent, be your authentic selves. Go ahead and say, no, this is what we're gonna do if we take back control of the House and the Senate, we are gonna cut your benefits. And let's see how that plays politically. But the fact of the matter is, no, no, they're doing this sort of off the side and subtly because they don't wanna campaign on this because they know it's a loser. That's right, and the Democrats should, I would hammer this home every opportunity that I got. Cause I'm telling you, you don't wanna see an uprising of the seniors. And that's what you don't wanna see, an uprising of the seniors. So we need to talk about this a little more. Let's put up something from Democratic Rep Bill Pascal. He also stated, and he stated this very clearly. The Republican Party is openly promising to topple the entire American economy unless they are allowed to demolish Social Security and Medicare. This isn't hyperbole, this is Republicans own words and the Americans need to hear them loud and clear. I agree with the representative and David, as you know, this is not the first time that Republicans have come for Social Security and Medicare. They have definitely threatened to make cuts to these programs over the years. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Here we go again. And what you laid out, the fact that yes, they should increase taxes on the ultra, ultra wealthy in this country so that we will be able to have, be able to afford to pay for these programs. We're talking about social contracts here. And we should not allow anybody to languish in poverty, especially our elders. And they already worked, they paid into the system. And they these are programs. These and these are programs that work. Social security works, Medicare works, it helps people. People have paid it in the system, it keeps them from going into poverty, it lifts people up. And you almost think, uh, Senator Turner, that one of the reasons maybe Republicans want to cripple these programs is because they are government run programs. And Republicans just can't stand the idea that the government is doing anything that might help people. So what do they do? They try to cripple these programs so then they can say, aha, we should privatize Medicare, we should get rid of social security. When the fact of the matter is no, we need to expand these programs. We need to build on these programs and what's working. Yeah, we do. And you know, they always want to talk about smaller government. If they get the hell out of it, it'll be a lot better, I tell you that. <laughs> I don't know how you go to work every day for a system that you hate. Mm. You know, if they hate government so much, why are, why are you holding these offices? Allow people who actually understand that government is designed for us to do collectively what we cannot do as individuals. Why don't you let them folks run for office and help to make government run more efficiently, more effectively, and bending more towards the will of the everyday people. So Democrats need to call out Republicans on this, and they need to grow a backbone and stand up. Baby, I would be shouting this from the rafters, David. It wasn't nothing they could, if I was running right now, everybody and their mama and their daddy and their mama's mama and daddy would know what the Republicans are up to at this time. So Democrats, economy, baby, run on it, it's a winner. And I'm saying run, Senator, run. (laughs) You've got some more races in you, I know it. (laughs) Thank you for that, David. We will see. Now, don't you break no news here on Boss, okay? During the first premiere week on Boss, David and Caden here, and he making some breaking, breaking news, breaking news. All right, speaking of breaking, we're gonna take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. 
let's read some of the comments, shall we? Farrell says, thank you, Nina, for never letting go of Medicare for all. Wish more people would echo and champion the call. Thank you, Farrell. We're trying to win more people. On Twitch, Ghost Dog says, everything Republicans do make makes America weaker. And for the most part, for absolutely the most part. And then on the super chat, we got Super Saint says, Nina with cold, hard facts and warmth, love and inclusion. Thank you so much, Super Saint. I appreciate each and every one of you, all of your comments, and thank you so much for being here with us during the premiere week of Unball. Do I have a treat for you? I have someone who has been a champion, and she she does it comedy though too. Humor. Sometimes you gotta laugh to keep from crying. I have the one and only amazing Liz Winstead here with us, our first interview during our premiere week. Liz, it is so good to have you here. I want to remind people in 1996, you were the co creator of The Daily Show on Comedy Central. In 2012, you founded the Abortion Access Front, an organization dedicated to raising awareness about attempts to block you know, women's reproductive. Rights, and you are the co-host of Feminist Buzzkill Live. I want people to wherever they get their podcast to tune in. But you and I first met nationally at a Planned Parenthood event where you were doing what you do. I was a board member for the National at at once upon a time, seems like so many lifetimes ago. And as we were discussing, when I ran for Secretary of State in 2014, you and Ali Sheedy and so many others were right there by my side. Mm-hmm. Helping me to run that race. It was like running through hell with gasoline clothing on this. I want to I mean, it is it's so I'm glad you opened up the segment talking about Medicare for all because I'm I'm with you 100 percent on it always and forever. And as we look at this abortion fight we are in, if we were to have Medicare for all in in the most profound and equitable way, low-income folks would not have to be searching and paying for the reproductive care. Uh, you know, there is so much going on right now, Nina, that it is. I just feel like sometimes I feel like it's a tsunami of a of oppression that just just doesn't stop. And so I feel for people who are like, what do I do? Where do I go? I don't know what to do. And that's why we started abortion access front, man. People need something to do because they don't know where the fight is. That's right, and and you framed it correctly. I mean, just this, it is in fact a tsunami. And why of all of the issues, all of the pressing issues, because there's so many, and none of us can tackle all of them. You know, people right. have the issues that are the nearest and dearest to their hearts. Doesn't mean they don't care about the other issues, but people have their top three. They care about other things. For you, why is it reproductive care access abortion? I'm gonna say the A word. Yeah, why abortion. Is it that? You know, I think because for so long it wasn't anywhere, right? No one was talking about it. And so when you don't talk about an issue, uh, the anti abortion movement got to frame this issue for 50 years. And so they stigmatized it, they took it out of the healthcare conversation, and they took it out of the economic conversation. And so when I hear people say things like, People really should be focusing on economic issues. I'm like, if you do not think bodily autonomy and how and when and if 
you have the capacity to start a family is not an economic issue. That just shows me how much we have to learn and why this issue needs to be centered. Because truth be told, you do not live as a free American citizen. If somebody has decided your body can be compromised and controlled by government entities, it is a mess. And it wasn't until Roe fell that the media started talking about it. I mean, Joe Biden just started saying the word abortion in 2022. So when we talk about how the Republicans are monsters, which they are, we also need to hold ourselves accountable about how much we didn't talk about it, how much we allowed other things and the shame to come in around it. And we need to do a big reset, man, on what we're talking about here. Yeah, agreed on that, Liz. I think because people don't automatically make the connection with abortion or reproductive health too, because contraception, you know, you got these crazy A Republicans. Trying to take away a woman's right to even have get birth control pills for God's sakes. That could be a whole nother show in and of itself. But I think making the connection, the economic connection is important. And those of us in this space have not done a really a great job of making the connection as to why abortion is in fact an economic issue, along with the other, I can't afford gas and I can't afford my food. All of those things are important. So speaking of President Biden, he has announced that he will make codifying Roe a top priority next year if the Democrats hold power in Congress. This is good news, and I say somewhat. Yeah, how do you feel about it? And do you accept the excuses from the President and the Congress that is in control by Democrats right now about why they haven't been fighting harder? Now I understand the recalcitrance of the Republicans, and I also understand that we got two problem children. I think a, a few more than two. I think some other Democrats are hiding behind those two. But I'm talking about Senators Manchin and Cinema. And before you answer that, Liz, I want to put up these two graphics. So in, in fundraisers and in political speeches, the president certainly has vowed to reject any abortion restrictions that may come to his desk in a GOP controlled Congress. Like he did on Tuesday, Biden has also urged voters to boost the Democratic ranks in the Senate, so enough senators would not only support re reinstating abortion nationwide, but would change Senate rules to do that. And that's coming from uh, the AP. But what do you think about that? You know, Nina, I think for far too long, we have given Democrats a pass when they say, and that's exactly the problem, that statement. I will veto any block. Expected. Expect it, but unless you're telling me I will proactively expand access to care, make sure that I am expanding the rights for people to have it. It's very much like if it, when you're, you can't just say, you have to be an anti-racist, right? If you're really gonna yeah. be in the game, you have to be an anti-racist. You can't, you have to stand up to it. You have to be profoundly vocal about it. You have to be an advocate that steps up and, and allows uh, folks who are oppressed to step back so you can advocate. It's the same with this. You have to say, I am proactive in my messaging and in my advocacy for reproductive rights. Otherwise, it's hollow and otherwise we're just on the defensive and it goes back to sort of that shamey weirdness of like, 
You, if you can't say abortion, you can't defend it. What are you defending? Yeah. When people go in and they need services, they don't say, I need a pro-choice. They say, I need an abortion. Yeah, and it's not that's very important. It is very important, and I love the word that you use, proactive, because I'm a little miffed about that statement. I believe that Democrats should have raised hell deep, more, more deeply than mm-hmm. they did on mm-hmm. this issue, knowing that we can't continue to make excuses. You have the majority, it's a slim majority, but you got the majority. That's what you asked people for in 2020. And you cannot continue to say, "Oh, but I need a little more. Now we know technically what's happening in that Congress. But as far as I'm concerned, they waited too long to get a clue. And that includes the President of the United States of America. On a, on a better note though, we know that the state of California has an initiative on the ballot, Liz. And they're not the only one, but we're talking about Proposition 1 to add the right to reproductive freedom to their constitution. Now, the state already, the state in the state of California, woman's right to have that access is already there. But advocates have been pushing to put that extra layer by putting it in the constitution. Let's put that graphic up because I want people to see that. And that means that we will, that in California, I mean, this is a, a really beautiful thing that is happening in that state and other places are doing the same thing. It's great and it is not only are they doing that, Gavin Newsom, their governor has been putting up billboards in Texas and states where access has been decimated saying, come to California, we'll help you get there, we'll pay, help you pay for your abortion. We're here for you without shame and stigma. It's kind of amazing because Nina, I think the part that is the most unsettling is You expect the worst from people who are the worst. But when our lives are on the line, I have had it with Democrats bringing a PowerPoint presentation to a knife fight. This is no joke, man. This is no joke. Yeah, I'm with you on that list. I I totally am. They got to get a little gangster. Yes. Republicans got gangsters. I had one one of my supporters say, you know, Democrats ain't got no gangsters on their side. GOP got all the gangsters and we yeah. have none. You said they bringing a PowerPoint to the, to the fight. <laughs> to the fight. To what the nice fight, they bringing a damn PowerPoint. Now Liz, you wrote, you wrote an opinion piece in the Daily Beast. And this is what you said, I wanna put this up because I want you to react to it. You said on January 6th, insurrectionists attacked the US Capitol and brought into sharp focus a threat. Those of us who have been monitoring right-wing extremists have understood for years. Some of the people who either attended the siege of the Capitol or played or played cheerleader for it to their thousands of followers on social media were the exact same dangerous extremists who harass and threaten patients and doctors daily at reproductive health centers, including some of the biggest stars of the pro-life movement. You meant no words there, Liz. Nope. Now, I think there's an intersection between what happened during the insurrection on January the 6th and the people who call themselves pro-life. Well, Nina, here's what's cool is through our advocacy at Abortion Access Front, we started out and part of what we do is we travel around the country and we do shows and we stay in communities for four or five days and work with the local activists on the ground. And as we were doing that, and we've been to over 100 cities. And as we were doing that, they would talk to us about the extremists outside of the clinics and they would give us their names. And we started forming a database. And then we started using aliases to join their churches, 
join their Facebook pages and we started following their movements. And we started um, pulling screenshots and going to videotape them when they started protesting at clinics. We've been doing this for five years. So we have amassed the largest anti-abortion extremist database in the movement. Wow. So when we saw the rumblings of January 6th, we started watching them making their plans. And so when, when January 6th rolled around, we pulled footage and stills before they could take it down of them being there. And we identified and turned over to the FBI 30 anti-abortion people. And then, and then we just, through our research and work, we just got 11 anti-abortion extremists who were harassing clinics indicted on federal charges. Good yeah, your the work that you're doing and and how you're also using satire and comedy. You're calling on your colleagues who are experts in that arena along with you to help push this issue, elevate this issue, and educate people as to why they should care about it. Liz Winstead, thank you so much for using your gifts to make this world a better. I see a lot of you here on the show, and congratulations on the new show. I'm so excited. Thank you so much, and I'm so excited too. So our jawbone speaking truth to power for today comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he once said, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. You hear what he said? What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Let us all reconcile ourselves to take a look at what lies within us and use the gifts and the abilities and the skills that we have, that we have to make the world a better place. You don't have to try to do it like somebody else. You can do it like you do it because we all matter and nobody is expendable. Even though I know sometimes in this world, there are certain situations that make us feel that way. But I am here to tell you, baby, I want you to take it from SNT slash AKA TNT that you are the necessary ingredient to making this world a better place. I want you to keep the faith, but above that, I want you to keep the fight. I'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network, like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie and the Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.